0: Desiree Berg, and welcome to the 34. Hi, I'm Tina Desiree Berg, and I am in studio with Sean Beckner, carr Mitchell, and we have a very special guest with us today. It is General Jeff, who is known as the Mayor of Skid Row. Welcome, General Jeff.
1: Hey, thank you for having me. Glad to be here.
0: Thank you for coming on. I think um, you do really important work in Skid Row, and I want to, uh, with Sean, illuminate that work that you're doing. A lot of folks have some misunderstandings about downtown Los Angeles. They have misunderstandings about the history of Skid Row. Um, So, but first, let's talk a little bit about you, um, your activism. So you're known as the mayor of Skid Row. Tell us some of the stories that brought you to that uh, place of activism and and stories that helped shape your viewpoint and the work that you do now.
1: Okay, Um, I mean, it's, it's it's really simple. I'm born and raised in Los Angeles and I care greatly about my city. And I feel that the city of LA could be the greatest city in all the world. And so they don't need my help in Beverly Hills. They seem to be doing quite well there. And since Skid Row in downtown Los Angeles, is also commonly known as the homeless capital of America. So that automatically makes it the homeless capital of LA. And so I figured, let me roll up my sleeves and go where the most need is. And so I intentionally reduced myself to a state of homelessness, and so that I could learn the lingo, the mannerisms, the mindset. And next thing you know, I ro- walked into Skid Row. I moved to Skid Row in August 2006, and I've been here ever since.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Um, so the history, the background of Skid Row is also you know, fraught with misconceptions. Skid Row is an actual neighborhood in Los Angeles. I think a lot of people think that it's some term that came to use uh, because of the unhoused population, which is not necessarily the case. Um, what is your, your viewpoint of how Skid Row came to be?
1: Well, I mean, the, the history of Skid Row, as far as, as far as the name, it actually started in the Pacific Northwest. For those that really don't know the true backstory, up in the timber mills in the Pacific Northwest, and everyone knows they have a lot of uh trees in the Pacific Northwest due to the constant rainy weather. And so what they would do, they would cut down the timber and the timbers would skid down the road, R-O-A-D, down to the timber mills where they would get treated and things of that sort. And so um, it used to be seasonal work in the beginning, but just like today's corporate America, Uh, they realized they could maximize their profits if they went year-round. And so because the seasonal workers would come in from out of town, do the work, send the money home, and then go back uh, when the the season was over. And so when they transferred over to uh, year-round, they needed uh, housing. So the owners of the timber mills built rows of hotels uh, for the seasonal workers to stay year-round a little bit longer. And so then with the hotels came the bars and the brothels and, you know, so it's, you know, hey, while they're working and off days. And so it got to a point where a lot of guys wound up inebriated, not showing up for work, not sending the money home to feed their families, not going home because they fall in love with prostitutes, things of that sort. And they felt it, they became down and out. So okay. it converted from Skid Row, R-O-A-D, to Skid Row for the rows of hotels for the down and out. So that's what it started up in uh, the Pacific Northwest. And so then there became skid row areas all across Mm. of america and so like in uh in new york it's called the borrowing in san francisco it's called the tenderloin and they've got them all across and so then in downtown los angeles it was there because of the uh the the train station to the eastern side of downtown los angeles and it's the same concept folks from out of town would come in for seasonal work and again there were the, the cheap hotels were right there and so um in the late 1800s It converted from. So a lot of people, you know, some of our folks say, so Skid Row started out with hardworking folks, hardworking individuals. So, you know, they want to keep that out there. And so then in the late 1800s, it converted from hardworking men to uh, down and out. And Skid Row in in downtown Los Angeles, it's been that way ever since Mm -hmm. and all the way until where it is now.
2: And, and, General, could I ask a question for, for, for those of us who don't know? And I know sometimes the borders uh, over the years, uh, some would argue have moved, some would argue have contested. What would, what would you say the, the actual location of Skid Row is in Los Angeles currently? Sure. There've
1: been different. There've, over the years, there have been different court settlements, different uh, uh, legal uh, mm-hmm. parameters. Uh, what we know is from the mid-1970s when the Skid Row Containment Zone was established, This boundaries of the hard boundaries of Skid Row, 3rd Street to the north, 7th Street to the south, Main Street to the west, and Alameda Street to the east, 50 city blocks. And so understand it's not just like an encampment area for homeless folks. There are thriving businesses uh, all throughout, different types of businesses all throughout the Skid Row area. It's just that area also includes homelessness.
0: So, is that also where the uh, single room occupancy hotels got their root? Is in that history?
1: That's exactly that. So, those same hotels that were uh, it began for the, uh, the the seasonal workers in the late 1800s; those those cheap hotels just got converted, and so it's a matter of a zoning change because mm-hmm. the names are still called hotels; they're not right. called that. Why we know them as SROs. And they're zoned as SROs. Mm-hmm. They're still called like the Sanborn Hotel, you know, the the the, the Simone Hotel. It right. still sounds like it's an actual cheap hotel that it just anybody can pull pull up and go in. But they're actually, you know, individual uh, apartment buildings for low income individuals.
0: Right. I think it's. I think the egregious part of their history also is the fact that for uh for a long time, and I think it still happens a little bit, even though it shouldn't be. Uh, the SROs would evict people before the twenty-seven day occupancy tenancy could be formulated, because that allowed them to escape tenancy, tenancy laws. Um, you know, and there was a—I know the Inner City Law Center had at one point did a, a giant lawsuit over that.
1: That's called the twenty-eight day shuffle. Absolutely, yeah. yeah that's it's on the books, and so there, there's been a lot of a lot of maneuvering, quote unquote maneuvering, if you will, but. Um, You know, there's been a lot. There are covenants that are in place on these uh, uh, single room occupancies. And so now that that extend up for 55 years and even when those run out, they can be extended for additional 55 years. So during our lifetime, uh, the SROs will pretty much stay um, in the same capacity that they are. And even if any type of uh, rich uh, uh, developers want to come in and maybe bulldoze those and, and, and build some luxury lofts, um, due to the Atlas Act, they have to uh, retain those, replace those units at a one-to-one ratio. Mm-hmm. So in essence, if they bought a building, a SRO, and tore it down to build a luxury uh, condo, uh, in essence, they would have to be building two buildings. Because not only would they build their luxury loft, uh, they would also have to replace those SROs. Right. So it's not cost-effective to uh, you no. know, invest in two buildings like that. And so um, that the, the Covenant's actually preserve the sro housing units
0: right and you know the really the egregious part too is that a lot of the folks that own these hotels like i know uh one particular hotel that the inner city set uh, inner city law center went after the owner lived in hillsborough which is a very wealthy suburb of san francisco and if you go inside i uh, went inside one of these rooms and i was appalled by what i saw you know you had a room that was uh, just infested with both rodents and uh, bugs of all sorts—cockroaches, other bed, uh, bed bugs, et cetera. The ceiling was missing. Uh, you had leaky plumbing that was just dripping down into the room from the unit above. And yet, you know, folks are paying rent to live in these units. It's absolutely outrageous.
1: Well, that was many moons ago. I don't know what how, what year that was. You uh, know, this helped- is like twenty
0: two thousand eight, I would say.
1: Yeah, that was the health department does an annual inspections. Okay. Are uh, there federal, federal regulations through the Department of Housing and Urban Development, uh, you know, that require annual uh, regulations okay. to get, you know, it's sub- government subsidized funding. So okay, no okay. matter what, so it's low income housing. So whatever your income is, you pay one third of your income. And then the, the other two thirds is government subsidized. And okay. so a uh, uh, part of the, uh, uh, stipulations of a government subsidy is that the owners and operators uh, are subjected to uh, annual inspections from the health department oh, so that's while some some their older buildings that are still um, in the in a in a bit of a state of a disrepair the newer uh, buildings are immaculate if you took them and put maybe put them in Beverly Hills you wouldn't even know that it was a SRO low-income I'm really so different.
0: happy it, to hear that that's great they may news. not
1: have the, the swimming pool and the sauna <laughs> and in some of those amenities right. but you know they really look really nice inside full-size kitchen full-size refrigerator um you know they've got some good amenities enough to you know, if you say it's homeless it's it's, it's decent it's respectable okay, now great. so we've come a long way we have so come a long a post- way
0: That's, i'm happy to hear that so what was the yeah. impetus for having that happen was it the government funding coming in
1: I'm sorry repeat
0: um what was the impetus for that change happening happening was it the government funding coming in
1: i would have i would say it was us activists okay uh speaking speaking out and complaining um about the deplorable slumlord conditions to the point where uh you know we we the people um the folks outside of uh the concern outside of skid row the concerned citizens of america heard and said oh this is a disgrace uh you know something needs to be done and so um, you know the change happened. Excellent. So was we, the people that that fought for change, and it's happened, and so generally that's um, the case.
0: Activists are always the uh, folks that end up making it happen and um, pushing through electoral politics, right?
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and it goes on to this day, and it, yeah. it can be seen seen widely spread all across America to this day. So absolutely, props to us <laughs> fellow us activists out there! Yay. <laughs>
2: um generally, you did mention that uh, I think when people think of Skid Row they think of a very specific part of Skid Row primarily where the unhoused uh, congregate um, you mentioned that there were you know thriving businesses you mentioned that there were um, nice rooms without um, without giving without giving a, a free ad for sort of a gentrifying force um, are there any 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 places where you really think that if someone perhaps isn't familiar with the downtown Los Angeles area, familiar with the Skid Row area, is there a place where you think that people should congregate, like a nice coffee shop or anything like that? Again, without giving an add to a gentrifying force.
1: Are you saying people outside of Skid Row where they should congregate? Are you saying where people... In Skid Row should congregate. I, I, I guess that both. Question.
2: To be honest with you, I get I, honestly. I, I was asking one question, but you heard a better question.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, well, the, the unfortunate thing and something that I personally have been fighting for as an activist is there is no welcome center in Skid Row. So you know, one thing about you know Los Angeles being the number two media market in all of America, um, there's a lot of news stories constantly flying out all over the world about homelessness the homeless conditions in los angeles and so some smaller cities uh uh, uh betray it you know they they see that los angeles seems to be doing better than them and so next you know they encourage their homeless folks to go west young men go west yeah as the old story would be <laughs> and so allow those folks migrate to los angeles mm-hmm. and so they don't they don't know the land they don't know you know the layout they don't know where the services are you know, even if they can find a mission, they don't know what time they feed, what time they, you know, cut hair or what time you can speak to a counselor or a case manager. There's a lot they don't know. And so I myself have encouraged uh, their four major missions in uh, Skid Row uh, uh, and, and, and has been here as long as 1891. They've been in business over a hundred, a couple of them over a hundred years in, here in Skid Row. And uh, we've asked them to put up bulletin boards outside so people can see What services they provide, the times, you know, because unfortunately, like when the saying goes, Las Vegas is the city that never sleeps. Skid Row is the community that never sleeps. Mm -hmm. And people need to know, you know, when 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 services are actually being provided. But but most of them are Monday through Friday, nine to Mm five. And what we're fighting for is a 24 hour uh, service provider uh, area. And so in Skid Row, there is no coffee shop if you will people congregate on the sidewalk when we sometimes we hold our community meetings right on street corners um just because we don't own any buildings so um we do have a couple of uh business owners that are supportive of and empowering uh the residents and they'll allow us to have meetings on their property uh there's only a few but uh uh and especially for myself because you know where i'm established but um it's for folks outside of the of the community um there're many many uh you know locations throughout downtown los angeles um where they can meet and and um there's an organization called the CCA the Central City Association uh, acronym is CCA and they're pretty much the uh head of the downtown business sector and that's who you know I would encourage outsiders to contact for all of that uh downtown uh, information that you you're asking about
2: I I've, I've per- personally witnessed um some 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 community outreach from some of the business owners there and 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 it, it it is refreshing to see. Yeah. Um so I I think let's let's get a little bit into the meat and potatoes. Um so you were heavily involved in uh the the attempt for a formation of the Skid Row Neighborhood Council yeah. uh back in 2017. Um yes. could you talk a little bit about uh what the goal was there.
1: Absolutely. So understand I'm the chair of the Skid Row Neighborhood Council Formation Committee, and I want to start off by saying that effort is still continuing. Oh good. Um, mm-hmm. um so the thing was we had an election yeah. in 2017 to form, and so right. currently Skid Row is a part of uh, the larger downtown Los right. Angeles neighborhood council. And because downtown Los Angeles got this revitalization boom going that, uh, you know, so many bars and hotels and restaurants and all these new businesses coming in, that Skid Row is pretty much put on the back burner. Mm -hmm. And because of our homeless issues and and other concerns within our community, we felt like we shouldn't be playing second second fiddle to anybody, especially at that time, because we can see our homelessness is starting to bubble uh, like a, a volcano, lava in a volcano and you know we don't want it to explode without the resources and the the focused solutions and so we start we've got to create this Skid Row neighborhood council and so um actually the effort started years prior to that but it led up to our big election in uh, on uh, april 6th of 2017 and so they said we came 60 votes short six zero and so things have stayed the way they are, and that's why homelessness is out of control. And so the thing about a Skid Row Neighborhood Council, it would allow for for definitely more uh, focused meetings mm-hmm. about Skid Row. Let's say if there's a monthly meeting for the board of directors of the Skid Row Neighborhood Council, right. uh, those are twelve meetings. And then if you have multiple uh, five to ten uh, committees that focus on whether it's trash, you know, parks, you know, different uh, uh, committees. Um you could possibly have anywhere from as, as low as a few as fifty to as many as one hundred meetings every you know, a per year, just about skid row and homelessness. And that would actually expedite the conversations. Right. There would be a specific location where outsiders could, you know, tap into. You know, if people say, Hey, I want to help homeless folks, where do I go? Uh, you know, they can go this place or that place, maybe a mission, but it doesn't help the overall community. So a lot of people get attached to one mission and they'll just be stuck in that one mission. But as I said earlier, uh, Skid Row is 50 blocks. So there's a whole community that they have, you know, some 49 and a half other blocks that they would be missing. And so with a Skid Row Neighborhood Council, they can come to one entity, connect with one entity and connect to the entire community. Mm -hmm. And so on the uh, Skid Row Neighborhood Council uh, board seats, when we do get the Skid Row Neighborhood Council, we're very confident that it will happen. There will be seats for residents, there will be seats for business owners, there will be, you know, at-large seats for uh, regular uh, random uh, Skid Row stakeholders, anybody in our community, and others. And so we want to make sure there's a full spectrum, that all, uh, the whole spectrum, all uh, perspectives are represented uh, and have a seat at our decision-making table. Mm -hmm. And not only would the Skid Row Naval Council be able to create create, uh, homeless solutions for ourselves, but also... Uh, solutions that would spread not only you know nationwide but also possibly uh create uh initiatives on un- right. um, um where that would go worldwide and so um right now uh, while we lost that election um because there were um let's just say we we feel that uh, we were treated unfairly you were um, there's some illegal illegal things that happened and so we there was uh, filed a, we filed a lawsuit against the city of los angeles who mm-hmm. administered that election and uh, uh, we went to trial in February of 2020. Right. Uh, we, we, we lost the trial. It was technicalities, not based on the merits of the case. And so we filed an appeal. And that's where we are now. We're, we filed an appeal. Um, unfortunately, the court systems have uh, shut down because of COVID. But uh, we're, 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 our, our opening brief for our appeal is due coming up. And uh, we're very, very confident that we will be successful in our appeal. Got
2: it. So um, so you're appealing the decision on February 5th, despite the fact that the city uh, threw out quite a few online votes. And despite the fact that the election came down to, I think you said 60 votes, uh, a judge dem- denied invalidating uh, the results of the election, despite the city acknowledging yeah. that online votes are being destroyed. Um this is a pretty easy question to answer, but do you feel as though that was a fair and just election?
1: Well, we don't. That's what we're exactly mm-hmm. what we're right. suing about. Uh, the the city hasn't proven that officially proven that we lost the election. They came out with an announcement after the election was over with and said, you know, you lost and you lost by 60 votes. And when we asked for a recount specifically, that was the first time that. That. Uh, uh, online voting was used for a subdivision election. Right. And the process was murky um, at best. And so then we've asked the city time and time again to validate the electronic online voter tallies and produce that first they were to preserve it and then produce it. And, and they haven't done either. And so because of that, they can't prove and they can't validate the uh, the on any of the online votes. Right. So how can they say that we lost if they can't prove it?
0: Can I ask you a question? How did they decide to do this online voting thing in the first place? Because I'm still not clear on that decision.
1: Yeah, that was a last minute move that happened less than two weeks before our election. And seeing that, you know, Skid Row, has a lot of homeless folks that don't have smartphones, don't have laptops or desktops. So the online online voting component was uh, definitely not in our favor. And so you know the the thing is about the subdivision ordinance it says that there will be one physical polling place within the proposed boundaries yeah. and so within the boundaries that i mentioned there was going to be one voting location in skid row and so the thing about the the outside uh the uh, downtown business sector apparently they didn't want they were in fear of coming into skid row to vote so they figured it oh, would we'll get uh, approve online voting and then they can just vote from the safety uh, safe comforts of their homes and so they put they they lobbied city hall uh very very hard and yeah. then city council member jose Wezar, who has now <laughs> been arrested by the feds and right. it's a whole he's very got corrupt. a whole nother thing and so you know what that is and so again less than two weeks before our election he uh led the charge in city hall to approve online voting um even though it was a temporary ban across the city uh because they had uh implemented online voting the year before in 2016 and it was a fiasco. yeah And so, you know, that was one that's one of our issues that they allowed online voting just for our one election, subdivision election while they still continued that the 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 ban citywide. And so there's there's so there's not just one issue yeah. of online but there's there's countless issues that we've put before to the point where it's probably overwhelming. For any judge to to a jury to really swim through to understand what it is, and so you know they're like only just you know lift up our our counselors telling us our legal counsel say just only lift up you know the smoking guns the important points it's all smoking guns it's all yeah. it's all important I don't there there you can't put one more so than the other it's 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 it's, it's crazy it's like Keystone Cops uh, administered this election but unfortunately it's it's so convoluted. That they mm-hmm. just explain it away because they're the big, powerful city of Los Angeles, and we're just supposed to blindly accept their uh, their uh, decisions that they made, even though they can't prove that the votes that they claim happened.
0: Right, because there's no paper trail. I'm a big believer in everything should have a paper trail. I think that was a really crazy decision that was made, uh, and that was made by City Hall. It sounds like ultimately, um,
1: absolutely, yeah, so, all, right. just Quickly um while in the state of California all regular elections and even uh, in the state of California overseen by the uh, California state uh, the secretary, secretary of state, state, state and yeah. online voting is not allowed
0: no it's not so allowed it? because it's very problematic and
1: so, right and so but but neighborhood councils are not uh the, are under the uh, oversight of the secretary of state right they're actually uh, governed by local politics, where yep. which means the city of Los Angeles oversees itself. Mm-hmm. And there's there's where the there's where the system is rigged. There it is, right there.
0: Yeah, and you know what? Here's the thing, General. Even if it wasn't rigged, we we have no way of knowing. They should be, in the very least, concerned of of how bad those optics are. It's a PR nightmare.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And then the, the, then there's an uh, additional layers of optics of little old Skid Row, the homeless yeah. the homeless capital of America has got to fight to take City of Los Angeles to court to sue just to get our Skid Row neighborhood council to help, you know, end homelessness, which is out of control. Only And we only want to do that because we don't want to live on the sidewalks. Right. See, there's a lot of mis- right. messaging. A lot of people say, oh, they just want to live on the sidewalks. No, we don't. That's why we're creating the Skid Row neighborhood council. Why? Because now we want to get to the deep layers like uh you mentioned moments ago, the meat and potatoes. You know, there's poverty pimping, what I call poverty pimps in Alive and Well in Skid Row. And that ties into the homeless industrial complex was a, a, a phrase that I coined a few years ago, because as long as homelessness continues to exist, the CEOs and executive directors of these large missions and social yeah. service providers and nonprofits, they get six-figure salaries as high as two wow. and $300,000 a year in Skid Row. That's and so... Sweet. As long as homelessness is on the sidewalks, it's job security for them, and they continue to get paid. Yeah. So and
2: you so that, you, so, you touched so, on so something that I think we both really really admire you for talking about, which is this industrial complex. Um, that, I mean, if you spend any time um, in really any uh, area where there are a lot of unhoused, you 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 can witness it for yourself. You know, you'll see organizations that will sort of fulfill one very small need um, and then leave. Um, how do we actually help end houselessness? How do we actually really get at the root of these issues? How do we really solve the problem?
1: You know, there and there's a multi-layer, thank you for that. That's such an important question and there. It's a multi layered answer Uh, Because it it all comes down to eat on a case-by-case basis where each individual has to ask themselves that question. But uh, connected to that question is how much time do they have to to commit to that answer, to that situation? And so it's what I call the threes. Some people is only what I call it three seconds, three minutes, three weeks, three months, three years. Pick your three. Which three category of a three are you in? Some people, if they only got a couple of minutes or, you know, right. just you know, come down and pass out a bottle of water, you know, a blanket or something. and They, you know, wipe their hands. Say, well, I did all I could. I've got to go back to my own life. I'm struggling there. Understandable. Thank you. We really appreciate it. There are others that make can stay a little bit longer. Hey, I got a little bit more time. You know, what can I do to help? You know, I asked them, well, what can you do? You know, if you can't cook, don't get into anybody's kitchen. And say, yeah. you know, cook this food. No, 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 no. If you don't know how to cook, we don't need you in the kitchen. But if you know how to sew, if you know how to, you know, to change oil, uh, you know, oil change on a car, teach someone how to do what you're good at. And then know that. And then the long term, um, you know, it gets into the political parts of it. Or people right. have the political wherewithal. And, it, you know, so for the short term is sending an email to a, a local state or federal a politician are three level layers of government, local, state, and federal, um, you know, by sending an email, making phone calls, letting them aware of it. The unfortunate part is, you know, the parameters for homelessness um, go all the way, come out of Washington, D.C., the federal government. So, again, as I mentioned earlier, the Department of Housing and Urban Development, they set the parameters and also the stipulations. So a lot of the nonprofits were the poverty pimp, but it's actually technically legally allowed because it's within federal regulations and so they can you know get a million dollars and 85% of that can go towards quote-unquote administrative costs
0: right.
1: mm-hmm. and you know so instead of salary, actually
0: solving the problem you know, yes. it,
1: yeah and so then you got to change the parameters uh, within HUD um, before we can actually complain and point fingers at the nonprofits and themselves <laughs> and so it's very very frustrating because you know you point fingers at one person and say, well, it's not because of me, it's because of them, 3,000 miles away. And it's very difficult for us in Skid Row to constantly get to any congreg- congressional meetings 3,000 miles away. Right. They're actually, you, uh, when, uh, it's extremely difficult for us to deal with the politics of Skid Row. So that's why, another reason why, we, with the Skid Row Neighborhood Council, we can have some type of governing body that may be able to shoot an email or an official letter that will get an audience with some That's congressional right. senator or, you know, or someone, uh, hopefully, and even if it got, you know, it will be luckily a, pre- a president or a vice president, you know, to hear um, what we have to say. Um, it's extremely difficult. And then if we have allies that could move for us, and so we're trying to build uh, allies, you know, all across the nation. And so then, you know, those that represent us uh, on the East Coast, mm-hmm. could possibly get, you know, they could get to uh, Washington DC faster than we can. So yeah. th- so there's a lot yeah. of building and networking and, you know, it's going to take time. Unfortunately, um, our homeless, our fellow homeless brothers and sisters are dying on the sidewalks. Mm-hmm. And right now it's the winter time. You know, the rain is already cold, extremely cold at night. Why they say, oh, Los Angeles. Oh, it's beautiful, sunny weather, like in the background of behind you guys right now. But at nighttime, it's freezing cold, yeah. um, especially if you don't have to have if you're not prepared for it, um, especially if you have to sleep outdoors constantly and then you know you know just the conditions and then when it when it rains you know the conditions get even that much more right. extreme and so it's unfortunate uh the death ratio in skid row alone is more than two to one and then you have on top of all that you've got we've got a global pandemic and yeah. uh, you know you know sh- when they say shelter at home what if you don't have, have a home, home. yeah mm-hmm. so there's so many you know so all these perimeters and so-called solutions they're not applicable to Skid Row. So again, we need our own Skid Row Neighborhood Council to, in, in, you know, introduce our own solutions and policies and then, you know, go from there. So it's a lot of work. A lot of people don't have that time to invest like that. And so that's why you have activists like myself and there's several others that are connected in, to Skid Row directly or in Skid Row directly. And we do all the heavy lifting, uh, you know, because we're committed. I put my personal life on the hold to come here just to do this because it needs to be done. So,
0: Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, look, in the very least, you'd have the ear of the mayor's office, which is the absolute intention of the neighborhood councils is is for more citywide local government to happen. And the unfortunate problem is, is if you're part of the downtown L.A. neighborhood council, that neighborhood council is chock full of real estate developers. Right. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. So this is all about
0: real estate development money. Um, Jose Huizar, you know, what he's been indicted for is real estate development money corruption. So, I mean, really, this is what's driving, I think, a lot of these problems is the real estate developers own the local government in many ways. um, And obviously, real estate development means that there's less uh, affordable housing and close to no housing or help for the unhoused. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely egregious. It's unacceptable as far as I'm concerned. And the city of LA needs to do something about it.
1: Yeah. And, it's, and so that we're hoping that the federal, you know, the, the the feds will come in and clean this, clean up the corruption. Yeah. Um, A lot of, again, as you mentioned, a lot of the uh, uh folks that uh, the entities and th- that you mentioned, in terms of connected to the downtown business sector, that's right. uh, we've we have uh, the emails through PRA requests, and uh, we've done a lot of digging, our own level of uh, private investigations, and we've uncovered that a lot of these folks are directly connected to the uh, prevention of our Skid Row Neighborhood Council, right. and that's because with the creation of a Skid Row Neighborhood Council, that means Skid Row plants roots. We have official right. boundaries. We are a community that you know we can plant roots. And they can't. It'll be more, much more difficult for them to uproot us. Uh, 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 other than that, Skid Row is prime real estate. The developers mm-hmm. want to uh, develop on that, and they've got this downtown revitalization right. where they want more hotels, skyscrapers, things of that sort. Plus, they've, you know, at, at that time, they had a few years ago, they had uh, a, a a pipeline, direct pipeline, overseas, international investments, right. um, and from what I know, is about at least one hundred billion dollars ready to come into downtown LA specifically. And the only thing Mm -hmm. that was holding that up was Skid Row. Mm -hmm. And so those very uh, 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 business interests that you mentioned, um, they were trying, they're trying to, they're still to this day trying to delete and eliminate the existence of Skid Row. So Mm -hmm. of course they were going to oppose the Skid Row Neighborhood Council. So they lobbied City Hall very well and the politicians buckled under the pressure because they need the campaign contributions. right. And there you go. We we never had a fighting chance. So instead of it being like David versus Goliath, it was David against 20 or 30 Goliaths. You yeah. got one rock. One no rock. Uh, how are you going to make that work? So, yeah. Mm. But we're still fighting. The little engine that could is still chugging along.
0: Yes. Thank God. Somebody needs to.
2: Um, <clears throat> you spoke a little bit about COVID. You spoke a little bit about um, the rise of, Uh, rates of the unhoused in Los Angeles. Um, And you spoke a little bit about uh, the mayor, Mayor Garcetti. Um, Under his tenure, uh, houselessness rates have increased about 40%. Um, We are looking at current death rates of four unhoused people passing away per day. Um, And in addition to that, we are seeing... uh, him make comments i'm sure you've already seen it um stating that uh cleaning up uh the unhoused assisting the unhoused uh is not uh this is a paraphrase please put the direct quote up uh but uh stating that it's not the city's responsibility to take care of the unhoused um do you think it's time for a change in, in the mayor's office? Have you had any response from Garcetti since he took office?
1: I've known Garcetti. Again, I, I, I came to Skid Row in August 2006, and I've known Garcetti. In me fighting my efforts to address Skid Row and homelessness on all uh, political levels, I've known Garcetti since he was a, a city council member, okay. before he was city council president, before he became mayor. Um, so we go back over 10 years. Very, we're very, very familiar with each other. Uh, clearly, we're on opposite ends of this spectrum, unfortunately, and um, that's why Garcetti's career did not extend to uh, Washington D.C. That's right. Uh, when the new, when the new presidential administration came in, and I was, you know, very vocal in public about it, that that would not happen. Um, while he had the big ticket items, you know, H H H. 1.2 billion dollars oh he brought nfl football back uh to los angeles oh the olympics is coming in 2028 so on his resume he's as a mayor he's got all these big right. ticket items but i've I always said homelessness was the issue that was going to bring his career to a screeching halt, and it has and so unfortunately he's you know scrambling to try to do whatever he can but uh the the next so it's not even about removing him Uh, We're looking forward to 2022, which is less than uh, uh, 10 months from now. Um, And so there will be a new mayor election. um, And then, you know, and he'll be replaced. It'll be, you know, a forgotten history, just like what happened in the White House. And it's time for move on. And so whatever uh, new candidates, new mayoral candidates that come online, they better understand that skid row and homelessness better be at the forefront of their campaign uh, platform. Because if not, uh, their campaigns would suffer greatly as well.
0: Yeah. On that note, let me ask you about Project Roomkey, which is one of Gar- was was supposed to be one of Garcetti's solutions to the problem during COVID. Um, what can you tell me about Project Roomkey and, and why it hasn't worked?
1: Well, first of all, the way I learned, Project Room Key started out as Governor Gavin Newsom's California Governor Gavin, right. Gavin Newsom. That was his solution. Okay. Then, as state statewide. And then uh, Mayor Garcetti announced it like it was a separate project room key uh, of additional, fi- additional 50, not combined 15,000. So that would sound like there's 30,000 uh, hotel rooms exactly. that are coming online, 15,000 in Los, in the city of Los Angeles, along with 15,000 statewide in California, which was not the case. And so there was misrepresentation there, right. um, which is disingenuous. Uh, the funding ran out. Um, you know, when they mentioned Project Room Key, it sounded like it would be long-term solution. Come to find out, it was only a 90-day solution. Um, yeah. Not only was it 90 days the the the, the last that I knew. Um, we've got because we got some wonderful folks that are inside that help share the truth, the real numbers. They, I believe, it was about 4,000. There were 4,400 uh, motel rooms, motel and hotel rooms that were paid for. But I believe they got to like thirty nine hundred that actually had tenants inside of them. Um, So they did. They didn't even get past five thousand when they're talking about getting close to fifteen thousand. They fell well short of expectations. Um, The funding has completely run out. um, And now they're looking for new funding to uh, put it to put into that program. And so but they didn't they don't mention these things when they roll it out. It's all the it sounds like it's got all the bells and whistles. You know, the mainstream media is falling all over their every word and uh, pushing it out there like, the, you know, these are just the greatest politicians ever when it's like it's, you know, it's just a smoke and mirrors campaign. And at the end of the day, it's us homeless folks on the, on the sidewalks who suffer. Yeah. And so Project Key was was not the mother of all solutions. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't even it's not it shouldn't even qualify as a solution. It was just a temporary quick fix while they buy time possibly come up with another billion dollar uh, ballot initiative to try to fool us voters into thinking we're on our way. We just need you to donate just to vote and uh, give us another billion dollars. You know, and then by the time that money runs out, we have new solutions. And so all their solutions do is overlap. So before they get exposed as, you know, frauds that their their solutions on the tables now, did not work. Before we get to that point, they'll overlap it with new solutions here, there, on a local, state, and federal level. And then we never, we they never conclude. They just morph and merge into the next solution, so-called solution. Right. In, in essence, in politics, that's, the, that's what they call kicking the can down the street. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's yeah. Exactly. We'll pick it
1: up later. Just kick the can down the street.
0: But they never pick it up, right? That's the problem. They never Wait. seem to I mean, we can go back to the time when Ronald Reagan was governor to look at the real uh, turning point as to how we got here, you know, some of the things that he did. And there's never been um, any real solutions put on the table since, like, you know, between and it's both parties. Let's be honest. It's the neoists, the neoliberals, the neoconservatives in both parties. They want to privatize everything. And it's become the free markets, the moral arbiter. Well, the reality is, is the free market isn't the moral arbiter of anything in this capacity. It's just not. And at some point, we have to deal with the human consequence of that.
1: Well, well what I have to say to that is, you know, we have to break it all the way down to the bare bones of, of, of what this country is, but the bare foundation of what the country is built on, the principles this country is built on. This is a capitalistic society, capitalism, let's start there. So when we talk about you know equity there's equity cannot exist equity which is you know equality um equality cannot exist in a capitalist society you know somebody's got to win and somebody's got to lose and now uh we've gone through generations of folks putting their finger on the scale those in power the powers that be putting their finger on the scale especially with with deregulating everything that's right um and so now that you know hey they're they're so You know they can determine the outcomes, but we with what's called the quote-unquote desired outcomes. And as far as homelessness now, homelessness in America is a multi-billion-dollar industry. Mm -hmm. And so one thing about America, America uh, prides itself on creating jobs, job creating jobs is probably America's number one economic uh, focus. And in homelessness is no longer about helping homeless people it's about using homeless people to create jobs for yes, america
0: god yeah and so i see your point and those,
1: are the, and those are the very principles that this country was built on And so a lot some people want to argue against me and have debates you're not arguing with me you're arguing to get the, the american principles the principles that the founding right. fathers you know built this country on and so once we once we get past that then we can understand how it's Skid row has become homelessness has expanded, you know, exploded, if you will, to where right. it is today because the more people that are homeless, the more jobs that are created to take care of them, and so that's 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 the driver hmm. of uh, homelessness right now is capitalism. So there's extreme greed now yeah. in, the home, so hom- in the homeless homeless industry. That's why we call the homeless industry. That's where we huh?
2: Wow. So uh, that actually leads me to uh, I'm curious about your feelings about this We've been talking about the different levels We've been talking about privatizing uh, Services for the unhoused uh, Probably the largest High profile event that's happened In Skid Row Was uh, A attempted uh, I guess Church group assistance Um from uh, Sean Foot.
0: We're out here in Skid Road and uh, we came out here not knowing that there was a protest. Um, We were actually here last week and uh, we were giving out food to the homeless. And right now what we have is uh, Black Lives Matter and we have some Christians here. Um, And there's a lot of conflict. So I have no idea about Sean, this person that they're talking about. Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. You have no money. Leave the unhealth community alone. Why are you spending your money on food that doesn't oh, satisfy? Why pay for food that does you no good? The Lord Jesus Christ has provided the eternal. Stop the people for in harm's with your own selfishness. You're taking you care have of your no bodies. Mask. You're taking care of your bodies with your masks and social distancing. But what about your soul?
2: Obviously, that group uh, walked in largely unmasked, um, and there was a pretty large mass resistance from both the community and yeah. activists. Uh, but I'd like to kind of expand beyond uh, that story. Um, in general, uh, in unhoused communities, you see a lot of church groups show up, uh, some of them for the day, some of them more consistently. Uh Are these church groups do you find that they're actually assisting the community or is there perhaps maybe they're fulfilling their own spiritual need
1: Mm. it's both you know going back to when i talk about choose your lane of three um so these folks with the first very first one was three the three second lane was you know passing out a bottle of water passing out a blanket and you know the the religious folks they come here and so this this group that you're specifically mentioning. They're not the first religious group to come to Skid Row, and they won't be the last. Right. Religious uh, 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 groups have been from outside Skid Row have been coming to Skid Row for decades. Um, you know, they're they're more than welcome. There's no, uh, you know, there's no gate point where you have to come through the checkpoints. You know, what it, what it, who are you? What are your intentions? You know, there, there's none of that. It's free borders. People come and go. People, you know, for the most part, have true intentions. Um, there's there's a spiritual energy already in Skid Row. Um, it's not like Skid Row is this you know, this lawless land or this non-religious, non-spiritual area where we need um outsiders to come in and give that provide that for us. It's already here. Um, Pastor Q John Marie, Pastor Q um is our our lead Skid Row, uh grassroots Skid Row pastor. Um and his organization is a church without walls because he does his ministry in skid Row right on the street corner he doesn't do it inside a building he does it outdoors the church without walls is called the rope and pastor q um reached out to these folks uh when they were coming because we did uh outreach and found out hey they're not wearing masks this is skipper we've got a whole lot of uh um concern in terms of germs disease health conditions deplorable conditions and then there's a, a global pandemic the last thing we need is any potential right. uh, COVID spreading energies to come into our community. And so he took the initiative, Pastor Q, to connect with those folks. And basically he told them, you know, reach out to us. Let's communicate. Extend our olive branch. And none of his attempts to connect with them were returned. <laughs> so, and then it was like, well, if you guys are going to be disrespectful right. to our community, don't come. You know, we appreciate it. Thanks, but no Thanks. And you know that's when the it became a media frenzy because these folks said we're coming anyway, right? And then be, okay, wait, 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 you can't just show up in anybody's door, go into anybody's house, and just say you're gonna do whatever you want to do. You can't just like if I you know somebody can't come into your house and just kick your door in, um, go in your fridge, you know, kick their feet up on your table, grab the remote and just turn to it. Hold on, who? Why are you here? You can't come into anybody's. Name me any. You can't go into Beverly Hills like that. You can't go into you know Boyle Heights. You can't go into any community anywhere and just do whatever you it is you want to do. So that's disrespectful yeah. to our Skid Row community. For when you don't respect us as a community, if a lot of people think Skid Row is just always oh, just a bunch of transients and vagabonds, oh that you know they don't they're not property owners and so we could just go in and just take it over yeah no we we, just because we don't own the property we live here it's been skid row for over 100 years if anybody thinks they're just gonna roll up into skid row and do whatever they want to do there's going to be strong pushback strong pushback because we're we're living within our rights Mm -hmm. and so out of fear for um with death already upon our door you just mentioned read the statistics moments ago about a four to one ratio death ratio um how 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 people are dying, show compare that to any other community in America and that has a four to one ratio. Um right. and so now you got these folks coming in with some super spreader anti-masker energy, unwanted, uninvited, unauthorized, and they're just gonna, you know, throw their elbows around, throw their weight around and bully homeless people that are weak vulnerable and already near death. Yeah, that that's just we cannot you know we cannot allow this type of energy to 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 happen and so yeah bastard q put out the call and we had a whole bunch of allies you know both in skid we rallied in skid row and people outside of skid row came and we met them right there before you cross into skid row you're going to get resistant the entire time you're here and that's what we did And that's why their event wasn't successful in Skid Row. Mm
0: -hmm. No, you know, and it was.
1: And and let me conclude with this. The main guy didn't even show up.
0: No, he didn't even. I was just going to say that. (laughs) He didn't even show up. And also, um, General Jeff, it seems to me that they were being rather self-indulgent when they were even trying to, uh, when they should have been. were trying to get in there. When they didn't, weren't allowed to go into the places that they wanted to, they ended up just being very loud and singing on a street corner where people were trying to sleep. I just, it just felt very self-indulgent to me.
1: And what did, what, what a lot of the media, mainstream media did capture, but we've got it on video. There's a uh, grassroots local community based uh, guy that uh, spent a lot of time at one point in time in a state of addiction on these scare row streets. And now he's cleaned himself up and he has a street corner, you know, street vendor right. uh, set up a canopy and sells food on the street corner. That's right. And these and, folks just came all in front of his business that's and right. we're giving away, we're giving away food where he's trying to make an honest buck to, you know, Oh, there's the food. Let's go take over that corner. And, right. you know, they're singing, they turn on speakers. and he was overwhelmed. And they, they just basically completely interrupted his business. Yeah. And, you know, just so disrespectful on so it many was levels. Disrespectful. You can't you can't go in front of a, a, a restaurant and then just start serving food. That's that's disrespectful, especially when it's skid rowing. So, you know, they yeah. cut off his livelihood. They didn't they didn't compensate him for his day's loss. Um, you know, it was just bad because when the people got the free food, then there's no need to pay him mm-hmm. to buy his food. And right, so and it wasn't
0: was- even like an actual meal. It was like crappy snacks. It wasn't, I mean, I wouldn't even call this like feeding the homeless. In my opinion, oh, were it was
1: there. How did you know? How- both of us were there. We were both yeah. there, yeah. <laughs> right, so you can speak to it uh, firsthand that mm-hmm. it wasn't, you know, uh, oh, they're going to feed the homeless people. And it made it sound like it was this big, huge rollout. And it.
0: it yeah, was like, it not. Was-
2: by my yeah, count, it, it, there it, were about 30 bags of snacks that were handed snacks, out. snacks! Like, crappy,
0: bad for you. We went to the 99 <clears throat> cent store and bought whatever they had on clearance. I mean, that's, I mean, it was really disrespectful.
1: And so, you know, my my efforts, because um, at first I wasn't going to go. I, You know, people, like, again, religious groups come and go all the time. I don't see what's the big deal about these folks. Right. Um, You know, I don't know. They got a lot of fanfare. They're putting a whole lot of, Getting a whole lot of uh, uh, media attention to it, and I'm thinking, what is it that they actually intend on doing? Is I don't want to be a part of it. There's a lot of folks. Oh, you're the mayor of Skid Row. Let us get the photo op with you, and then right. the photos go out look like I condone and support the, the event. And so I wasn't going to show, but then I wound up showing up later. And then there was a uh, some the buses turn go down Fifth Street. Right. So I was basically focused on rerouting the buses. So the bus serve public transportation service wouldn't get interrupted um you know that was my focus and then I came down and um you know met talked to some of the folks and that's when i I learned the the main guy wasn't there and yeah. they've got the the B team is uh performing <laughs> you know it's it's nighttime where you know folks are sleeping you waking people up with this noise mm-hmm. what what do you who who what do the poor logistics Right. You know, they didn't speak with anybody in the community. What are the best areas to do whatever it is you're trying to do? And they just think they can come show up and like we're gonna run to them. Mm -hmm. You know, so then there's a whole lot of ego and arrogance. So if they're saying they're religious, you know, normally you're humble. You know, you're respectful. And I we I didn't see any of that. And so I went out and really tried to uh, speak to some of those folks. And that's how I met you guys.
0: Yeah
2: you know it's it's funny you mention that um this this is veering very strongly into opinion territory but as someone who's who's lived as an unhoused person um and and often lives near unhoused areas one of the things that often does not happen um is and it's a very simple solution uh treating treating help with dignity you know if, if you're going into a situation where you're trying to help the unhoused, your first question should always be, how do I allow them to maintain their dignity? How yeah. do I allow them agency in their own life? Absolutely. Um, And, you know, I, I remember having a conversation with a a, a group of them um, who were very, of course, offended that, you know, there was that resistance. And yeah. I remember asking them, you know, do you know what they actually need? Um, And, and he looked at me like that was the silliest question in the world. Right. And I was like, just ask somebody you come across. If they need a toothbrush, there's a CVS a couple blocks away. Like, you know, assisting the unhoused as far as really truly ending um, houselessness is, is an incredibly complex, incredibly yeah. multi-tiered situation. Um, you know, helping, helping your neighbor on the street corner near you is, is, is quite simple and just requires a conversation and dignity. Yeah, um, and and I witnessed a lot of uh, that arrogance th- that you're speaking right. to, um, and uh, I was really really happy to see you sort of and and your work. I think um, really focuses on uh, not you know ticky tack situations. You know, um, if someone doesn't have a job, so they can't afford a toothbrush. You know, the situation is not to give them a toothbrush that's not going to fix the problem. They're going to need another thing in a day because they don't have a job. The situation requires ultimately, you know, getting them a job or the assistance that they actually require. And I really admire that you're very outspoken about that um, and truly fixing houselessness. Um,
1: you know, if I if I may, let me just jump in while we're on this topic and just yeah. talk about uh, my concerns for, quote unquote, the religious component yeah. of helping homeless people. Um, you know, when I saw firsthand this very group waking homeless people up, sleeping on the sidewalk, just mm-hmm. scream them down. It, it, this a, a super aggressive prayer style. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Easy, you know, yeah. it, 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 it was. they seemed a bit enraged. This wasn't a normal prayer, praying no. for people, if you will. It wasn't P-R-A-Y. It was more like P-R-E-Y. They were Mm -hmm. preying on people. It it, it was very aggressive and and highly unusual. Um, Yeah, there was no, again, there was no humble or humility involved in terms of this religious energy. And so just, I just wanted to compare that to us activists in our community in Skid Row. Uh, We've already undergone that fight for many, many years. Over 10 years for me, I've been here, this is my 15th year in Skid Row. Um, There are four major missions in Skid Row. Three of them are faith-based. And that was part of my very first early, one of my early, first early acts of, of activism here in Skid Row is people in the Skid Row community would constantly complaining about the faith-based yeah. missions where they come in the door for help. Mm-hmm. And they're basically saying, oh, before we help you, you have to take this Bible. You know, they basically shove a Bible down your throat. Right. And it's like, well, I just need the food. I need to rest my head. Like, can we, you know, it's late. Can we talk about it in the morning? And it's like, no, 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 we, you know, you've, you've got demons in you or whatever, whatever the energy is. They shove a Bible down your throat, and you, try to rush you and sign you up into a program where they can get paid if you sign up in a program. And then, you know, it's just these aggressive tactics that were, you know, under the guise of, you know, being, you know, of re- being involved in religion as opposed to really uh, homeless service provider. And so there's a blurry line, and we've been already fighting that fight, um, in Skid Row. So when these folks came in, it it just opened up the old wounds, right? And reminded, oh, not that again. You know, that's what it was for us. This was nothing new. Again, we you know religious folks come all the time, and a lot of times, if uh, you know, we'll talk to their leadership, and they understand there was this one group that may come like 100 deep all the time, and you know, pass out, everyone have a bottle of water. And with all the walking through all the trash that's going on, because at the time, you know, city of Los Angeles wouldn't have trash cans out there because they didn't want homeless people to make bonfires or, or whatever. The reason. They want the, con- the homeless conditions to exist. And so our whole thing is, well, how about half of you bring bottled waters? The other half, you bring brooms mm-hmm. and help us sweep up this trash. Right. And so there was one organization that did that, and they said they felt more empowered and got more out of it by sweeping up the trash for our community because they got instant gratification where they can see that cleaning up trash it do it does more for our community than it does in them just passing out bottles of water and so that's where you know it's multi-pronged they're doing something for homeless folks but also they're receiving uh, uh, uh benefits and positive energies for themselves and they said they got more benefit from uh through the uh uh cleaning up of the community so then there have been a couple of groups that said, "Hey, we no longer pass out bottles of water. We, you know, since everybody else is doing it we want to come down and uh we just have cleanup crews." Right. And so you know, so so that so that's how us active is how we the people get when folks communicate with us and the LA as you said uh, moments ago uh asked what do did, did you ask them what they need. And so then that was, you know, that was that was a big huge step and as we fought and then when they realized OK, now that we swept up the trash, you know, we you know, some of us got trash. But what do we do with it? Right. And like, Aha, <laughs> boy, there's the next level. Mm-hmm. We don't have trash cans. Wow. And yeah. that's so then they joined us in that fight. And that's how City Hall would say, oh, we better put some trash cans out there. And so that's where we got the trash cans. And that's how we get the solutions, um, you know, and, and it doesn't we don't wait for the city to give us solutions because the solutions aren't coming. And right. so that's how folks can help us in our community. And so we've got it figured out. We're not crying out saying, help give us solutions. We, there's no one in Skid Row that has ever said that. We know what we need. No one's listening to us and right. saying, you know, helping us with what we need. So right. um, it's, very, it's very difficult, but um, that's where we are. So uh, we have, and it's built into our activism, is outreach, you know, classroom. Skid Row is also a classroom. People come to Skid Row, it's teaching moments happening all the time, 24-7. Again, Skid Row is a community that never sleeps. And right. we've got to teach folks on how to help us. We've got to teach the politicians on how to, you know, what what actually solutions work and what don't. And, it just, and you have to teach the Skid Row, uh, nonprofit organizations, you know, stop poverty pimp and actually help the people. So there's a whole, it's just, you know, the classroom is in session all over in Skid Row. Right.
0: Wow.
2: Wow, that was a that was a big conversation. Um,
0: I think that's a. You have another, I think it's a good end. Yes.
2: I have one more question okay. for you because we've we've had this discussion before on the street. Uh, actually, I think it was the Sean Fook Day. Um, so obviously, uh, right now, among we talk about activists and sort of the general sort of role of an activist, where activism is going in general, um, there have been quite a few calls uh, since May in particular, of last year to defund the police and reallocate money towards social programs. Uh, Recently, a measure called Measure J was passed, which allocates about $150 million towards uh, broadly the word social programs. Uh, Despite the fact that not all of those social programs in that budget hasn't entirely been finalized, are you seeing any of that money going towards the Skid Row community? And if so, is it working?
1: so when you talk about Measure J, great question by the way so when we talk about measure j i was not a part of that measure j fight you know because you know there's like if there's an alphabet foot of issues you know some of us yeah. take you know you know element op are taking abc others are taking xyz you can't just be on every fight all the measure j was not one for me i i set that out we have a uh, fellow activists in skid row um it's an organization an actual grassroots nonprofit called Los Angeles Community Action Network. The acronym is L.A. Can. Yes, we can. So um, so they were very, very involved in the uh, Measure J uh, uh, ballot issue. And so obviously there was a successful campaign. Um, And so, you know, when you talk about, you know, out of the George Floyd energy from last year, the uh, hashtag defund the police energy. I'm very involved. I was very involved in that. Mm -hmm. I still am and so you know because i've been out speaking uh, against lapd's bully tactics you know uh, since i first got to skid row the very month that i got to uh skid row august 2006 was the very month that lapd launched uh the safer cities initiative and they were very aggressive in terms of uh, uh criminalizing and handcuffing arresting uh homeless people and that was how they quote unquote planned on cleaning up our community and so we we're fighting that and back then that was before LAPD's new headquarters was right. built. So we were going, speaking before the LA Police Commission meetings at Parker Center, um, a lot of those issues were there, which has now been torn down. Uh, we're part of that energy as well. So we got a lot of little wins along the way. Um, so defund the police was, you know, I was outspoken all along saying, you know, LAPD's budget is at $2 billion per year. Uh, it actually it's at $3 billion now. now. Um, they just got a, a pay raise. But, um, you know, at $2 billion a year, you know, we don't see, uh, uh, you know, the necessary product in terms of, of what we need in terms of to protect and to serve. Right. And so with the at the, the George Floyd energy, um, you know, there's another now there's $3 billion. And we're saying this fund this funded is majority of the city's budget. You know, the city's got to, you know, yeah, the hiring freeze. they've got to fire employees, you know, work furloughs. And it's just LAPD, you know, being greedy, and the police unions being greedy, just absorbing. But again, we go back to the foundations of the, what this of this country was built on: is capitalism. And you have, you know, LAPD, Los Angeles Police Department, capitalizing with full of greed, capitalizing on the city of Los angeles budget. And it's it, it, you know, it's just you know, I've written op-eds, you know, I've done a lot of speaking out against that. And so it's very disrespectful. But then so because when, when we learn. You know, going back to me being born and raised in South Central Los Angeles, when I was saying growing up saying, where's the funding? Oh, all this funding comes to every the city of Los Angeles. Every year, funding comes out. The funding that would come to South Central Los Angeles, it would go to the Los Angeles Police Department. So then in 2006, going to the uh, Fighting the uh, Safer Cities Initiative under then Chief uh, Police Chief uh, Bill Bratton, um, come to find out the funding that would go to Skid Row for homelessness would go to LAPD. And so, you know, in order for that, what they would do is anything that involved homelessness. If there's a cleanup crew for the trash, which you know we created, we we motivated then Mayor Antonio Villarigosa to uh, you know fo- do a, give us a focus uh, concentration of uh, cleaning up the streets, and then they, oh that we need to have uh, the uh, the city employees need to be uh, escorted by LAPD. So LAPD is written in the budget. You know, anything that has a deal with the homeless solution, oh, they need LAPD, and LAPD has brainwashed all these entities to say you need law enforcement. You will know, right. we'll protect you. You have to be because you're interacting with uh, homeless folks, and then LAPD's written into the budgets, and so with them written into the budgets, and I don't know what you know. So, so they're driving up costs, and again, their budget is three billion dollars now. Right. I don't see three billion dollars worth, you know, because crime is still happening. You know. It, Home is, 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 is whatever they're supposed to be fighting against, you know LAPD. You know they they've said it many times. They can't stop crime. They can't stop right. crime before it happens because they can't predict where crime is going to happen. All they do is show up after the crime, after the bank has been robbed. Right. You know, they, yeah. then they show up and take a report. The right. detectives do forensics, and then they you know what? And then they chase down and try to track it, the, but they can't stop crime from happening. And so. There's this false misnomer through, you know, we, the people um, uh, of America, you know, law enforcement agencies across America got people food and thinking, you know, oh, this is their first layer of protection. The first responders, if anything, the, the, the law enforcement can stop crime from happening. That's absolutely not true. So then when you look at that, so when you've got cops running around giving uh, uh, pol- uh, traffic infractions, oh, you ran a red light. and you. Okay, leave that to the traffic people.
0: Right. You know, you're
1: you're you know, you're focused on something. That, so when you start breaking down all the things that uh, law enforcement actually does, then we realize they don't need this overblown, That's right. this bloated budget That's right. for all these things. So the Department of Transportation can put some guys out there right. to issue uh, uh, parking, yeah. you know, violations, a tra- traffic traffic uh traffic violations. You know, so then take that money away from LAPD and put it in the appropriate department. And you go, if there's a parade, we don't need LAPD, you know, it's traffic control. And you you right. start breaking it down and you realizing, hey, why does LAPD get all of that money? It's just like when it comes to uh, there's a death and, the, you know, the notify the next of kin, the coroner's office should notify the next of kin. Why does LAPD... Right show up knocking on somebody's door with guns
0: right mm-hmm.
1: people are going to be um nervous cops bamming on their door like oh is there a problem what's going oh no we're, we come in peace but you got gar- guns hands on your guns this intimidating thing especially in you know poorer communities uh, community brown and, and and black and communities of color anytime the cops show up at your door that means somebody's going to jail so yeah. no we don't want to open the door we don't want to interact it it, it, it seems suspicious when all it is is just a simple notification of, of of next of kin well let the coroner do it there's no gun there's no need for guns if you're notifying somebody that's their loved one died what do you need guns and armor body armor yeah and, so it's like no 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 you can take that away from the lapd's budget and we ran through the line on it we're not there's some that are saying abolish the police but defund the police and abolish the police are two different actions, right. different energy. We're saying defund the police and in, instead invest in communities. Because what we found that if you've got like, like we need after school programs, you know, obviously now COVID is going on. When the kids come out of school, give them something to do, otherwise they're going to get into trouble. Yeah, that's a common, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. common sense and logic, folks. And I so, agree. you know, senior citizens need, you know, activities, get out of the house, exercise programs, there's a, you know so that funding is being sucked up by LAPD budget and it's not saying oh you know we hate cops and you know they just shouldn't have any but they should like work for free nobody's saying no, that we- at all their budget is way over bloated it's you way over so need so much needed right. across the We can to on paper you point to their over bloated budget or we could point to significant needs in our communities to keep that do a better statistically job job of keeping our, our our communities safer and vibrant and so it's not police don't make our community safe especially not minority communities
0: i absolutely agree with you and endorse everything you just said a million times over um the lapd budget is beyond bloated it's 54 percent of the city of la's budget it doesn't need to be we are sending cops to do work that they should not be involved in whatsoever and it's leading to unnecessary violence it's leading to unnecessary death there's no two ways about it so i agree with you on everything you just said i think it's spot on
1: excellent thank you
2: all right uh general unless there's anything else that you wanted to say um, I was going to ask you. I guess uh, is there a way to reach you? Is there a way to reach a really high quality organization?
0: Yeah. Who would you recommend if somebody listens to this podcast and they're very motivated and encouraged by the things you are saying? What's a good way for them to follow your work?
1: Uh, well, let me just say, you know, I'm in I'm in the streets of Skid Row. I roll up my sleeves. You know, I'm not I'm not doing this for for the glory. Uh, I don't get paid, you know, I'm 100% volunteer. I don't get paid to do what I do. 15 years for free. You know, wow. people try to question my motives. Oh, and he's got a hidden agenda. What is he up to? You know, why is he speaking out against the the nonprofit missions and the social service providers that has been here for hundreds of years? Um, Because you're not putting out a good product. And I yeah. want to close with mm-hmm. this. Um, If there's a good restaurant in town, Um, The word gets out and there's a line around the corner. That's right. Um, People can't wait to get in there. That's how it should be for these missions and social service providers in Skid Row. If they've actually got a great product, if they're as good as they say they are in their mission statements and their press releases, there should be a line around the corner of people trying to get those services. There's a reason why people aren't going in there. It's just like a restaurant serving bad food. You're serving bad (laughs) food. Nobody wants to eat there you know no one questions the missions and service social service providers in skid row because you know they always control the narrative yeah. and it's and point fingers at the homeless people oh they don't know what's best for them oh they want to live on the streets oh they're mentally ill oh they're on drugs there's nothing we could do blah 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 and they keep paying us <laughs> by the way you can donate to us and our efforts right wait 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 what i'm saying on behalf of we the people of skid row it's time to turn around and look the other way and look at these missions, these service providers. What kind of product are they serving? What are they offering? We're not talking about the what's on their websites. Come take right. a look. Fool in line. You eat that food. You tell us if it's quality. You get their services. You listen to their customer service skills and their people skills. As you know, They don't know who you are, but when you get screamed at and yelled at and disrespectful, Disrespectful. you don't want to go right. in those places if there's a shelter and they've got bed bugs and you know is that you know it's unkept it's unclean but you know they're not lack of uh, adequate security instead of hiring their buddies get some real security in there because all of a sudden when i go to sleep and i wake up and my my suitcase is gone my backpack is gone i don't want to stay there i would be better right. off staying by myself and so there's a lot of different issues that don't get addressed and there's no platform to listen to we the people one thing I'll say is the LGBTQ people, they have amazing uh, um, narrative. They control the narrative. It's called victim blaming. You know, you know, Don't blame them for right. the conditions that there's the societal struggles that they deal with. It should be the same viewpoint in terms of homeless folks. Stop I blaming agree. homeless people for everything. You know, when, when when homeless women are getting raped in tents, you know, we, we're going through, so you got homeless families out there, they got evicted because of, you know, an evil landlord. You know, we want to kick them out or kick the babies out on the street. Don't say they're unfit parents. You know, there's societal situ- there's societal problems with that. That's right. You know, there, there's a whole, you know, stop victim blame when it comes to homelessness. Stop victim blame when it comes to Skid Row. I just want to close with that. So, um, but I'm out in the street, so I'm I'm, I'm difficult. You want to find me, reach me, I'm in Skid Row. Wow. But, um... No, <laughs> but no much
0: hard. respect, man. Yeah. That's You're not wrong.
1: Thank you. Thank you. And so there's a... Uh, uh, a, a lot of grassroots. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a grassroots guy. So there's <laughs> a lot of grassroots. Technically, it's called community-based organizations, CBOs. You know, I support those in Skid Row. So again, I already mentioned LA Can. Um, LA we Can's great, to, yeah. You know, so I'm the chair of the Skid Row Neighborhood Council Formation Committee. We have a website, skidrowneighborhoodcouncil.com, dot com, spelled all the way out. That's where you can find me. Um okay. There's a wonderful, or, a nonprofit called an industrial district green and what they do is they plant trees in skid row and the next door neighboring community called Arts district because historically uh skid row has had you know these warehouses you know big trucks driving through we've got these homeless folks we got a community now we need more trees you know of Mm -hmm. course we know trees help the environment you know on and on and on with climate change and all the climate five we we're big on that, and so they planted over 300 trees. That's great. They're caring for hundreds more. Um, you know, they're just an amazing group. So, Industrial District Green, you can find them on all over social media. Okay. Uh, me personally, I'm on Facebook under General Jeff. I'm on uh, Instagram is at Skid Row General Jeff. I'm on Twitter at Go Skid Go. My email address is spelled out Issues and Solutions at Yahoo.com. I S S U E S A N D S O L U T I O N S. I used to give out my cell phone number, but now I get all these, you know, crank calls and all these robo calls. So I don't do that. But I'm, you know, I'm available 24 seven. You know, we've got some very serious issues going on. There's a there's a lawsuit involving a federal judge, David Carter. You know, he's you know kicking up a lot of dust. I'm walking through the community. Uh, with him you know sharing our perspective and uh, he's ready to come down really really hard on both the city of LA and the county of LA so you heard it here first stay tuned